As followers of Jesus, many of us this morning could share back and forth even of what God has done in our lives. And as we did that, many of us hold to various passages in the Bible as our favorites. And we would share back and forth some of our favorite passages, what these verses mean to us, sharing mutual encouragement with one another. And one of those chapters for you may be Ephesians chapter 1, which is where we're going to spend time this morning. Really, pillar of our faith in many respects, this chapter, these words that Paul penned for us, showing us so much truth. In fact, there is so much packed in these first 14 verses, we could literally spend weeks upon walking through uh, the reality of who Christ is, how he moved in Paul's life, and how God is drawing us closer to himself. We're going to try to package it all into one message as best as possible this morning, seeing that in the midst of it, God grants life, that the Son obtains life, and that the Spirit sustains life. And so we'll walk through each of these sections in that way. Let's begin by reading chapter 1, verse 1, a pretty common opening for Paul. Most of his letters, he expressed his love for the people, uh, who God is to that people group. And he, he uh, does the same here, beginning with verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here is Paul extending this encouragement, the grace and peace of God to this group of people, encouraging them to continue walking with him, intimately, firmly, standing with Christ as he continued to impact their lives. We've seen commonly also in Paul's writings, he uses the phrase, in Christ. Well, in particular, in this first chapter of Ephesians, it's the mother load of the term in Christ, or a phrase that resembles it. Nine times in this first chapter do we see Paul writing that phrase, what that meant to this people group, profound impact in their lives while they were found in Christ. Once they surrendered their lives to him, that was the way they were able to receive the grace and mercy and peace of God and live that out to others. So verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Another version would say every spiritual blessing in the heavens, actually pointing to there. So God pouring out, opening up, as it were, the vault of heaven to followers of Jesus in the areas of blessing, spiritual blessing. The ability to allow us to walk in power and in strength because of who he is and what he's done in our lives. The very gift of relationship with Jesus himself as we surrender our lives to him, having a relationship with the God of the universe, God the Father, being able to experience that, and then the Spirit working in and through us. The picture of that as we walk with God, the blessings being opened to us. And though we know we struggle with sin in our flesh constantly, that will be a battle for us until we see 
God face to face, one day when we enter heaven, when we leave this place, we will continue to battle. We are still to us having the availability of these spiritual blessings that God has given us. And just knowing him alone would be a big enough blessing. But he also gives us the opportunity to know his word, to study, to spend time, to have relationship with followers of Jesus, to be able to deepen relationally with them, walking with him, experiencing blessing. And then verses four to six, <clears throat> one of the most hotly debated sections of scripture in all of the Bible. Theologians in two different camps, which we'll mention in just a moment, debated this again for centuries. Verse four, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So there's the result of Christ working in and through us, changing us. We are to become holy and blameless. That part is not debated, but the choosing part is. He predestined us in love, we see in verse 5, for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. <clears throat> so this is where the two camps form. The first, the reform side of it, saying that he chose before the beginning of the world these who would be followers of him solely based on his sovereign will. On the other side of it, the other hand, theologically, Arminiists who believe that God did choose them, but they chose him. And so the foreknowledge that God has for those individuals of being his different perspective, different theological position. So we see the two sides, and there are others as well. But one thing that both sides agree upon is that were it not for the mercy and grace of God, giving us opportunity to have relationship with himself, we would all be lost. We would be without hope. So while these debates have gone on again for long periods of time and continue to this day, the two groups together recognize that were it not for God the Father granting life, giving opportunity, giving grace and mercy to us, we would have no hope. Instead, however, he has given us the opportunity to have hope and to hold it out to those who are lost. God the Father grants life. Next we see God the Son obtains life. Look in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished or poured out exceedingly so upon us in all wisdom and insight. <clears throat> making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. <clears throat> Going back up to verse 7, we see the term redemption. Redemption, being made right. Another way to look at this, actually going back uh, from a grandfather, father perspective of the word redemption, we consider the word ransom. We think of ransom, they've made movies that have included that title, solely had that title 
as the movie, a ransom is where something is paid for the freedom of someone else or something else. When we think of redeeming something, oftentimes we think of redeeming a coupon. We get a coupon in the mail, possibly for a free book from Michael's. And so we walk in and we lay down the coupon, we receive our free book, and we leave. Christ redeemed us. He, much greater than a coupon, gave his very life for us redeeming us, giving us the opportunity as he, the word tells us, we are bought with a price, the blood of Christ, the redemption that we receive in him based on his work, not on our own, is the only way to be found in him. Jesus 14, 6 said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. A lot of world religions say you can come to God a lot of different ways, but the only one who is truth, the only place where salvation is found is in Christ. John 14, 6, him making that statement of himself, being redeemed. So one day when we pass from this earth and we see God, when we go to the throne of judgment, he will either see the blood of Christ covering our sin, covering our lives because we've surrendered our life to him based on his work, or we won't see the blood of Christ covering our sin. The difference, sin being forgiven, sin not being forgiven, yielding our lives, not yielding our lives, being forgiven, being redeemed, being made right in him because of him. And then he makes known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, Colossians 1.27 may be one of those favorite verses of yours. Uh, that in Christ, the mystery actually is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we know hope and we are called to share hope. The mystery, Christ in us, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, all things past, present, and future, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The unity that we have when we surrender our lives to Jesus, being one with him, one day Christ unifying all who have surrendered their lives to him, spending eternity with him, God bringing all things to a close, as he says that he will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So he is the one who gains the praise. For anything good that happens in our lives, on this planet, whatever takes place, all of the glory goes to God. He is deserving of that. The Son then obtained life by coming, living, dying, and rising again, giving us the opportunity to have life in him. Verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. God the Spirit sustains life. This is also one of those debatable topics between churches. Salvation, is it permanent, is it not? Very plain, very clear as we read that verse that once we surrender our lives to him, we are sealed Nothing can break that seal. In fact, 
In the New Testament, in Revelation, we see that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life when we surrender our lives to him. So whether it's age five or 95 or anywhere in between, once we step forward and do that relationally with him, yielding our lives to him, surrendering, it's permanent. It's a good promise of God for us because we know as he is perfect, we are not yet. In him, we are perfect. So God the Father is not God the Son, but God the Father is in God the Son. God the Son is not God the Spirit, but God the Son is in the Spirit. God the Spirit is not God the Father, but God the Spirit is in God the Father. So the mystery of this package, the title of this message today, the mystery is the Trinity. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, three in one. We see it poured out throughout Scripture. In fact, even in the beginning, Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it continues and it shows in those next two to three, four verses, in fact, that God was before the beginning. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. We, the word, is used. And so as continued throughout the entirety of the Bible, we see this picture of the Trinity, different uh, forms, different people of God, but the same, all in one. So we too, when we surrender our lives to Jesus, are found or hidden in Christ. Salvation, the gospel of salvation for those of us who would believe, sealed. And he, in fact, is our guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Meaning that once we pass from this life and fully are realizing the gift of relationship with God in eternity with him, if we have surrendered our lives to him, then this guarantee or deposit, the Holy Spirit in our lives, will come to fulfillment. And that will bring us a tremendous amount of joy, encouragement, eternity set. So the first question today is, are you found in him? Have you surrendered your life to him. If today were your day and you were to leave this place, which would be a tragedy for all of us, and were to get in a car accident and were to pass from this life to the next, and you were to be before God and he were to look at you, how would you be found today? Would the blood of Jesus cover your sin? Have you surrendered your very life to him? Or would you be found separated? Apart, not having the covering of the blood of Jesus. If that's you, the Bible states that you're lost. And in your current position, you are without hope. The desire and hope, though, of those who are followers of Jesus is that you will surrender your lives as we have, your life as we have. And in so doing, you will receive the guaranteed deposit, sealing of the Holy Spirit, yielding your life to him, seeing him do the work in your life. You're lost, for God so loved the world, all that he gave his son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. That is his plan and his purpose and his desire for our very lives. Are you found in him? And if you are found in him, Do others see or recognize a difference in your life? 
Paul is so good to us in that he shows us in the following verses, beginning with verse 15, how we are to live. Let's read those together. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Back to verse 15. All of these things that Paul had just described from verses 1 through 14, sharing with this group of people, with this church, who they are, found in Christ, this picture of the Trinity, he then says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith. What is that? That's reputation. Personal and corporate. So what is Blue Valley's reputation with our community? Is it building one where we are seen to be in Christ, where we have such a profound strength of faith individually and corporately that those around us, these homes, these businesses, these neighborhoods, regardless of another church and what they are doing and how they are seen, do they see Blue Valley, this campus, as a people, as a group, as a church of faith? Do they know us? Do they know our reputation? Personally, do they know you? And do they see that? And corporately, do they know us in that way? Second, Paul challenges us. And your love toward all the saints. Again, looking from a community perspective. For those of us who know us individually and as a church, would the hallmark, one of the hallmarks of our church be that we have such an intense love for one another that Christ shows himself in that even if they can't explain it or describe it. The world cannot offer that kind of love. The love we're talking about is one that is not just irreplaceable, but it's an undeniable love that God has for us in spite of. Let's face it. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, if we were still dead in our trespasses and sins against him, we would not recognize or know the love of God. He would make it known to us, but we would not know it. So for those of us who know it, the love of God, <clears throat> do we in turn, <clears throat> excuse me, do we in turn love people as he loves us? Are our lives characteristic of the way God loves us in spite of? 
If your life was set apart and we were to identify or look or dig in deep to see your level of love for those who are here, just within this church family, would it be the same description that could be given of God for us? Grace, undeserved merit, not based on what we have done, but based on what he has done in us. Are we hallmarked as individuals and as a church of a people that love others so intensely? One another and the lost. That could only be explained as that is the work and movement of God. Listen, we have disagreement. At times, churches are more known for disagreement and struggle than they are for the description that Paul's challenging the church in Ephesus to have being known by their faith and love. Paul was so encouraged when he heard of their faith and their love for the people of God. So radically different than what the world says it should be. The difference it made, the way they were holding out the gospel and doing so, it was a drawing point for the lost to come to know Jesus. Do we love people the way Christ loves us? in spite of the differences, in spite of the weaknesses, in spite of ourselves. And I would say to a degree, sometimes, sometimes not, the battle with the sin and flesh, this life is real, loving as he loved, all of us can be encouraged there, challenged, grow. I do not cease giving thanks for you, he says, remembering you in my prayer. So there's the third piece of it. It's not only that the church has a reputation of faith, the people, individually, corporately. Not only that they see this incredible and extreme love for one another, but it actually drove Paul to pray for that church and those people. How are we doing in praying for one another? Hard to stay angry at somebody you're praying for. Got some enemies? Followers of Jesus or not, what should our response be according to Paul? They're the first ones on the list. Praying that God would so empower us that we would get past it, that we would love as he loved. Encourage as he encouraged. You know, it's scriptural to pray scripture, right? We know that. To pray scripture for the lives of those around us who are followers of Jesus and those who aren't. How regular is that a part of your prayer life? We are actually taking sections of scripture and praying verbatim what the word says. What did Paul do for this people group? We see it. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him when was the last time you specifically prayed that verse for someone else who's a believer? Well, it's been a while for me. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance, etc. Would it be good for us? Would it do something relationally for us with God and with people? If we specifically pray just this section of scripture for someone for a week, every day. 
God, I pray for Dennis Williams, that you would give him a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. God, I pray for my son, that you would give him, Ethan, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Jackie Kincaid, I pray that you would give her the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. What if I prayed just for those three people every day this week, those specific things? Do you think that God would move? Do you think he would work? Do you think lives would be changed as a result? Scripturally, how could God not move in that? We're praying scripture over the lives of people. Now, they may or may not choose to listen, respond, but we do have a calling to pray for one another. And in fact, as our reputation for Christ in this community builds, instead of being so independent and receiving glory for ourselves about what God is doing, we should become more and more, in, more dependent on our faces before the king, recognizing and acknowledging, God, were it not for you, you're the only one that deserves glory in any of what you're doing. Positioning us correctly before the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. How's your prayer life for others? I think we all have some work to do. Will we put feet to it? Finally, this, this, um, this quote. <clears throat> this is from an author, Joe Rigney, who wrote, refers, speaking of the Trinity, refers to the mutual indwelling of the members of the Godhead. The reality is what enables us to distinguish the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit from one another without separating them from one another. This picture of the Trinity, while we can't completely grasp what that is, we can have trust and faith because of what we read in the word, that it's true, that's who he is, and that as a result and of our knowing him, if we surrendered our lives, the vaults of heaven, spiritual blessings are open to us. Will we see it and live in him in that way? In Christ. Let's pray.